It's always a joy to see some people you haven't seen in a long time. And all the time you're talking to them, you're asking yourself the question, who is this? Because you don't want to be embarrassed. We have today several who are here, and we appreciate so much you coming, especially, I want to call attention to this, one Tim Holland. Uh, Tim Holland, we, we used to call him Little Timmy. Well, he's not Little Timmy anymore. He's grown up, has a family. His family were members of our church when we were meeting over on Northwest Loop 323 before ever moving to the ladies' building. Spent two years there and then moved into this building uh, a long time ago. And Tim, it's so good to have you and your family here today. It's a joy to see you, my brother. Uh, one thing about heaven, just one thing, because we're not preaching on it, so one thing's about all I can take the time to talk about. One thing is the fact that not only is the Lord going to be in glory, He is the King of kings, He is the Lord of lords, but He, through His grace, has already seen to it that every one of His children are going to be there. And we'll have all throughout eternity to praise the name of the Lord. And, uh, and that's a good thing. But we're so glad to have you visiting with us today. I preached my first sermon a few years ago. I was a member of the Front Street Baptist Church in Roxboro, North Carolina, where I spent the first 20 years of my life. And I told my pastor, I said, God has saved me, but not only has he saved me, he has called me to preach his word. He said, I'm glad to hear that. I want you to preach Sunday night. I gave some serious thought to that. But I brought my first sermon there on in December of 1951. I was 18 years of age, just past August. And I preached on the subject of sin. And the scripture that I used was Romans 5, 8 through 12. And been preaching on it ever since. Ever since. There have been many changes to take place in the church since I started preaching. The emphasis back at that time was on revivals. God's people talked about revivals. Being in revival services and feeling the moving of the Holy Spirit to re-enliven them to the things of God. Today, we talk about Bible conferences. And there's nothing wrong with good Bible conferences, but my dear friends, we've changed the emphasis quite a bit over the last 71 years that I've been preaching. There back then were no traditional and contemporary services. When you went to church, the family went to church. 
And the family sat together. And the family worshiped God together. But today it's entirely a different thing. Most churches today have two churches in one. They have a contemporary church and then they have a traditional church. The traditional church is for the board members that just don't have much reason to live any longer. And then the contemporary services for the kicking kids because they like it hot and they like it plenty of it. And we didn't have that back then for better or for worse. Matter of fact, we didn't have contemporary music. Back then you came to church, everybody was given a hymn book and you sang hymns out of a hymn book that men and ladies many years earlier in their lives who were dedicated to that task wrote things worthy to sing about. The members brought their Bibles. Today they bring their electronic equipment. Changed a little bit. But one thing that still stands in my mind were the crowds we used to have and no longer have. That bothers me tremendously. We pastored a little church in Atlanta, Texas, just out of Atlanta, Texas, called Smyrna. And the name Smyrna means persecution. And as long as I was there, that church was under persecution. But you know, an hour at least before every service, the people began to come and gather around the church and pack the parking lot, the country church. And they came early so they could spend 30 minutes at least alone with God in prayer for the services. And they would pray. And by the time the preaching started, the place was packed out. My family and I moved to Tyler in 1960. I became pastor of the McMurray Drive Baptist Church. That little building over there is still directly in front of the turkey business. If you eat turkeys from Greenbergs and if you don't, you're missing a blessing. God got in that thing. At that time, there was a pastor in Lindale. God got in that thing over there. And people were coming from everywhere to hear the word of God. One businessman here in Tyler, I was in his store buying groceries. At that time, Brooks's did not have a monopoly on it. There were other stores with other names. He walked up to me and said, Brother Cozart, I've been listening to you preach and I believe you preach truth. And I want to have a part in what you're doing and the church you're working with here in Tyler. Another man at that time who was a city commissioner of Tyler came to me and said, Brother Cozart, you're preaching the word of God. 
And we want everybody everywhere to hear what you've got to say. We'd like to take you on and sponsor you in Corpus Christi, Texas with a clear channel of radio down there. KCTA, Corpus Christi. And we were on the air there. And all other stations were added. And people were so interested. And this is what they wanted to talk about. You could advertise your revival in storefronts. You go up to the owner and say, could we put this revival placard in your... Yes, sir, anywhere you want to put it. I don't know how far we'd get with that today. But the whole concept has changed tremendously. While we were at McMurray Drive... One of the men who worked and still works for KTBB came to see me and said, Brother Cozart, we would like to air your program live. And we want to do it on Sunday night. I said, well, that's a good time to do it. Because back then, you could have church on Sunday night without getting locked up. Or locked out. And my dear friends, I've never seen the people coming in from various churches all over Tyler to be with us in our live broadcast on Sunday night at McMurray Drive across from Greenberg's Turkey. (laughs) And I thought the Lord does strange things, doesn't he? But the building was packed out and the service time was at 8 o'clock p.m., We met as a church from 7.30 till 8 o'clock to take care of the preliminaries, to take care of the welcoming of guests, to take care of the offering. Then at 8 o'clock sharp, we came on the air, KTBB. Previous to that, we were on KGKB, a station is no longer in operation of Tyler. But my dear friends, We packed it out at 8 o'clock on Sunday night. Are you listening to me? I'm not making this up. Why, dear friends, you couldn't get a baker's dozen today on Sunday night, 5 o'clock, 7 o'clock, or midnight to come to church because we're too busy. We got to cut it. And we wonder what's wrong. Everything is wrong. I want to speak on the subject this morning of an explanation of revival. We don't hear too much about revivals anymore or see them advertised much anymore. I want us to look at that, if you would please. And I would like to ask you, if you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. Now, I found out a long time ago that there's a reason why there are indexes in the Bible. (laughs) Kind of help you along the way there. The book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. And as I read these verses for you, and you follow along in your Bible, I want you to pay close attention at the close comparison 
of what we have going on in the United States of America today. Habakkuk chapter 1 verses 1 through 10. It begins this way. The burden. The burden. Which Habakkuk the prophet did see. Now there are many burdens that we can feel. But dear friends sometimes we can see them if we'll only pay attention. And what was the burden? O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? I know of no greater burden that we could face than that one, that Habakkuk face, to know that when we call upon God, he's not going to listen and he's not going to hear because we have abused our privilege in grace of calling upon him. Pay close attention to the reading. Verse 3. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore, the law is slacked. Have you ever heard of that before? The law is slacked. And judgment doth never go forth, for the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. You wonder why all this mess is going on today? Because we've set aside the word of God. And we won't pay any attention to it. There's no law enforcement We think we're doing somebody a privilege by funding the police a little bit. Patting them on the head and said, you guys are doing a good job, but don't get carried away with it now. And everybody seems to fall in line to accept that. Nothing could be further from the truth in God's word. Behold you among heathen in regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans. Another name for the Chaldeans would be the Babylonians. And a more current name for the Babylonians would be the nation and country of Iraq. God is not through with Iraq. He used it to punish Israel. He's using it today to punish us. That bitter and hasty nation which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. To possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. While their horses also are swifter, they were in the Green New Deal also. They didn't drive automobiles, they rode horses. You see that? Their horses are swifter than leopards, verse 8. 
more fierce than the evening wolves, and their horsemen shall spread themselves, and their horsemen shall come from far. They shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup up. I do not know if that's a Hebrew expression for getting fed up. But when you take it in its original context, my dear friends, they were making faces toward the east because it was toward the east that the deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ, would come. And they would make faces sup up to that. Verse 10, they shall scoff at kings and princes shall be a scorn unto them. They shall deride every stronghold for they shall heap dust and take it. The text is found in chapter 3 of Habakkuk, verse number 2. May I read verse 1 for you? A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shigianoth. O Lord, I've heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath. Remember mercy. Some things which happen in life are self-explanatory. Some things that happen in life are self-explanatory. When I was a child, I would deliberately disobey my mother who took advantage of the first opportunity she had to take a peach limb. I called it a peach limb. She called it a peach branch. It's a limb. And she would wear me out, but I never had to ask her, why are you doing that? I knew why she was doing that. I didn't need an explanation. A man goes to sleep while driving his car. (laughs) He runs into a ditch and almost kills himself and he wonders why in the world did this have to happen? Because he went to sleep, dummy. That's why. Some things we don't need to explain. They're self-explanatory. However, there are some things which happen in life that need to be explained. Let me give you an example In the book of Exodus, chapter 12, verse 26, a question is asked, what mean you by this service? Now the context reveals that God's man was explaining to them the Lord's Passover, how it was to be observed, why it was to be observed, but there were some little children that had been born since it was initially given. They had never heard of it, so when they saw this the, the, the wine that was to be drinking and they saw the, the, the lamb that was to be slain and they were th- th- reminded of blood being put on the door lintels and on the doorposts. They said, what meaneth this? They didn't understand it. In Acts chapter 2 verse 12, when the Holy Spirit came down in great power on the church, they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And some of the people there raised this question, what meaneth this? They thought some of them had gone out to John Barleycorn and gotten drunk. Read Acts chapter number 2. They said, what are these people doing this? What, what, what are they talking this strange language about? 
The same is true about the subject of revival. There's much ignorance and much misinformation conveyed about what revival really is. So I want to speak on the subject revival explained or an explanation of revival. Revival not only is a cure, revival is the cure. Revival is the cure for spiritual coldness among believers. Revival is the cure for modernizing the gospel. The Bible is cure for changing the church into a circus. The Bible is clear that revival is is the answer and the cure for mutilating the word of God with so many translations. For poor and irregular church attendance. For discouragement, for depression, for lack of joy. Revival is the cure for powerlessness in the pulpit and for prayerlessness in the pew. Revival is the cure for neglecting Bible reading. It is the cure for spiritual laziness, for unkind words and critical attitudes, for carnality and worldly living, for stagnation in spiritual growth. Revival's a cure for that. And the reason so much we have, and the reason why we have so much of the things we have today, it is because we have been cured of it for a long time. What is revival? It's like manna that came down from God out of heaven. And when it did, the Israelites said, well, what is it? And that's what they called it. The name manna means what is it? And whenever manna came down from heaven, they picked it up and said, what is it? They did not know what it was. But what is revival? Richard Cole, in one of his writings, made this statement, and I believe he's correct. The greatest need in America today is to see revival in our land once more. Someone has said that if we do not have revival in our day, we're only one generation away from paganism. He furthermore said, what kind of spiritual heritage will we leave future generations if we do not experience the presence and power of God in revival? There are two problems, Mr. Cole says, that greatly hinder God's people from earnestly seeking Him for revival today. Number one, the first is the distortion of the meaning of revival. Most of us have very little understanding about what a revival is and where it comes from and why it works every time. The second thing is a lack of faith that God will send it. Do you really believe He's going to send a revival? I've never seen times as bad as they are today. And I could take your time and remind you of some things that are going on today that my dear friends would make our generation in days gone by blush with shame. And it doesn't seem to bother us. Do we really believe God will send revival 
not can send revival, but that he will send revival. Habakkuk was burdened for revival. I asked myself the question when I was reading this text, Dan, when's the last time you got burdened for revival? I mean, really burdened for revival. So much so that you lose the taste for food, that you lose the taste for going out and having a good time. There's a great big burden that, that, that is generated in my soul and in your soul. We, and, and that's a healthy thing. We should be that way. Habakkuk says in chapter 3, I heard thy speech and was afraid. Now, what was he afraid of? Well, he was afraid of the Babylonian captivity in chapters 1, verses 5 and 6. And he said in reference to that, revive thy work. This is not the work of creation, but the work of God's people. By that I mean Ephesians 2.10, revival is primarily for God's people. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And do it, Lord, in the midst of the years. It's been a long time since God had visited with his people when you read it from Habakkuk's standpoint. The people were growing older and older without revival. When's the last time you were in a revival? And don't, don't go into it, but just think about it. When's the last time you were in a church service and somehow or another the Holy Spirit began to use the preacher to say some things that you needed to hear and that he needed to say and he needed to repeat and all of a sudden you found yourself saying, Amen, Amen, Amen. By the way, we used to have a lady in our church. And I would tell you where she sat. I don't want to give her away. She's no longer with us. But while she was here, many times during when I was preaching, she'd say, preach it, Brother Kosar, preach it. Can you imagine that going on in a Baptist church today? Nobody's too concerned about what's being preached in the pulpit today. We already have our definition of the church and what it's for and who started it and what we're going to do to change it. My God, we have fallen so far. In the midst of the years, the people were growing older and older without revival. And then he uses the word revive. Revive. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee. What does it mean? Though the term revival is not mentioned in the Bible, the term revive is. Let me repeat that. You won't find the word revival in the Bible, but you find the word translated revive. Revive thy work. What revival is not. This is supposed to be the explanation of what a revival is. What revival is not? It's not a protracted meeting. It may involve a protracted meeting, but you can have a meeting and not have revival. Sure you can. We've made a mistake when we advertise, and this used to go on quite frequently 50, 60, 70 years ago, that churches would say, we're having a big revival. It starts on uh, Sunday uh, the 4th 
and going to be going through the tenth. I figured, well, maybe God's going to die after the tenth and couldn't carry it on any longer. They had it down. This, we were going to have revival. I mean, yeah, we're going to have revival. I don't think so. Not with an attitude like that. Sidlow Baxter, I like to read from him. I think he had something to say. He first visited this country from England. He and his wife noticed there was a sign in front of a church which read, quote, revival in progress, unquote. After he and his wife entered the building, they soon found out it was just a planned meeting, didn't have any revival, just advertisement. It is not a protracted meeting. It can involve a protracted meeting. But that does not mean that the protracted meeting is going to assure you of revival. It is not emotionalism and excitement. And folk, honest to goodness, Baptist churches sometimes are dead as morgues. I mean, nothing you say. If I said that John the Baptist didn't lose his head, it wouldn't make any difference. Nobody cares about John the Baptist anymore. You know? There was a time when the preacher would be out-preached by the people. I was raised in my earlier years in a Methodist church. And in that Methodist church, you won't believe it, I'm telling you the truth. In that Methodist church was four or five pews over to the side of the pulpit. And there sat the stewards, the Methodist stewards of the church. And they were the amen corner of the Methodist church. When the Methodist preacher preached, the Methodist over there said, praise the Lord, amen. Yes, sir. You don't have that today. Why? Because we've come to be entertained. Just entertained. So we we can just feel so much about it. I'm so glad I came to church. I just feel so good. That's where the problem is, ladies and gentlemen. We feel too good. It may involve both of these elements, emotionalism and excitement. Nothing wrong with either one of those. But you can have both of these and miss revival by a million miles. It's not something we can work up. I preached in a meeting several years ago in Jacinto City, down in the metropolitan area of Houston and Beaumont and all those places. And the pastor came up to me. I'd only been there for a short while. And I went up on the pulpit to preach. And he said to me, Preacher, we're glad to see you here. Let's get this show on the road. That's what he said. Let's get this show on the road. Never have I wanted to say the word, Showtime! That's bad in my life. And that's what we have in our churches today. That's what we have in our pulpits today. A bunch of clowns. Come on. What is revival? Revival comes from the root of a Hebrew word, H-A-Y-A. And it means to live. 
Revival means to live. It carries with it the idea of recovery and restoration. It is a reanimating of those who already possess life. It is an awakening, a a revitalizing, and a renewing. One cannot be revived until he's first been revived. That's why it's called a revival. It's to wake up. It's to come alive. It's to be activated. It is to be moved upon by the Holy Spirit of God. I do not have the time to keep you. And so I'm going to give you these references and you need, to, you need to jot them down. It might be helpful for you. How does the scripture use the word revive? How does the Bible use the word revive? That's how we ought to use it also. Number one is Jacob. You find this in Genesis 45, verses 25 through 28, when Joseph found out, or pardon me, when Jacob found out that Joseph was alive, he said, and they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them, and when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. They had to tell him earlier, as far as those boys, his brothers were concerned, Joseph's dead, daddy. And Joseph was a prized son of his father, and it broke his heart. He became a morose, downhearted, discouraged man. And they thought he was going to die. He was so full of sorrow and depression because Joseph was dead. Joseph was dead. All of a sudden, they began to bring in methods of transportation to get him and his family to leave Israel and go down into Egypt to live. And they said, Joseph is alive. When that dawned on him, first of all, his initial reaction was, you kidding me. But read on in that passage. And it says when he really took that to heart, he said, my son Joseph is alive. And he revived he started living like a living person ought to live, be alive. Samson in Judges chapter 15, verse 19. God clave a hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came water there out. And when he had drunk, his spirit came again, and he revived. When did he revive? And his spirit came again. The spirit came on him again. Samson had been very successful in killing hundreds and thousands of Philistines, but he faced an impossible situation and he was very thirsty and he picked up this hollow place, this jaw of an animal he had killed and there was water in the jaw and it says his spirit came again and he revived. He killed some more Philistines. (laughs) The third one is the widow's son in 1 Kings 17. The Bible says that Elijah stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this soul, child's soul, come into him again. That's where you get revived. He had already been vived. He died. Now he got revived. 
And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And then Sanballat, that's in the book of Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls of the city of Jerusalem, doing what God called upon him to do. And it came to pass, when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth. He took great indignation. He mocked the Jews. He spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? They're going to try and build the wall again. And he laughed at them while they were trying to do what God told them to do. Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? And he raises this question. Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Will they be able to take these burned out stones and revive them so they'll be useful again? Will they be revived? Once these stones were orderly and useful, but now they were scattered among the rubbish. But for them to be reinstated into a wall would be a revival. And you can follow that study by keeping this in mind that stones are a type of believers in Christ. Stones, rocks are. In Luke chapter 3 verse 8, the Lord Jesus said, God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And in 1 Peter 2, 5, he said, the Lord said, you also are lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Revival is nothing short but God taking once productive and living stones which are laying out there on the rubbish heap and raising them and healing them and binding them and enlivening them once again to be used for His honor and glory. That's revival. So what in the world happened to him? Well, God just gave him a joy, juice of of grace. And he responded by being alive. Now, very quickly, and we'll be closing with this, the source of revival. Where does revival come from? Take a moment, if you would, please, to the book of Psalm 85. The book of Psalm 85. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Verse 4, two words. Now, I'm not like Mr. Biden. There are two words here. Turn us. Turn us. Turn us, O God, of our salvation. And cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? 
Lord, is this the way it's going to continue to be, getting worse and worse and worse? And then verse number 6, Will thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? I tell you, that's a commodity that we need in our churches today. A real heaven-sent revival that would cause God's people to rejoice in Him. In Him. Revival is not in the hands of the preacher. You get any kind of preacher you want to, a bad one, a good one, a sorry one, doesn't make any difference. Good looking, ugly, doesn't make any difference. It's not going to matter. Revivals don't come from preachers. They don't come from musicians. They don't come from singers. They come from God. And my dear friends, there was a time when there was nothing and God made it. God completely made it by himself and needed no help and used no other help. He does the same thing with revival. He'll revive us when he wants us revived. Maybe we have not lived long enough the way we are living now. And maybe we have not faced some of the things we're... (laughs) Oh, my. It gets to be kind of ferocious. Then it gets to be a little funny. If you don't stay out of the grocery store, you're going to go... You're going to die of poverty. You are. When's the last time you went to the grocery store? I bought gas in Abilene, Texas for 17 cents a gallon. Okay? Got that down? It's Sinclair gas. I didn't care what it was. 17 cents a gallon sounded pretty good to me. Hey, when's the last time you filled up your tank? We heat our home with butane by force because they will not let natural gas be brought down to our house. They just won't do it. We moved in our home in 1969 and we filled our tank up. We didn't have a tank. They said, you want to rent one? I said, well, what's the charge? $25 a year for a 500-gallon tank. Sounds pretty good to me. Until it needed filling up. And we went all summer. It's been a pleasant weather. Thank the Lord for the weather he sent. But it got down real low, and I called the gas company and said, you need to come out and fill my tank. And I was thinking, that's 17 cents. I'll give them a few pennies, maybe 20 cents a gallon. Put in 300 gallons, 300 gallons, and charged me $900. Thank you, Joe Biden. You're welcome. But it doesn't seem to bother us too much. 
we kind of gravitate and say, well, we can, everything's going to be all right. No, it's not going to be all right until we get back to where God wants us to be. And you have that in the church. And the church is being, being ignored in the matter. It does make a difference whether you're here or you're not here. It makes a tremendous difference whether I'm here or I'm not here. Church is very important. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. An explanation of revival as best I could. I have tried to do that for you and yet keep you within a reasonable time. Thank you for being here today. It's been a joy to have you and I hope you'll come and be with us again. Let's stand please for prayer. Mrs. Charles Bell, Charles Bell, Mrs. Charles Bell, she was a writer and she wrote these words. Let's close it on this. Humbly now, O Lord, I pray, send revival here today. All my coldness, all my sin, all my doubtings deep within, Forgive them, Lord, and cleanse away. Oh, sin revival here today. And then she concludes, Humbly, Lord, I ask of thee, send this awakening through me, emptied out of self and pride. Thy light no longer will I hide. And oh, dear Lord, use me, I pray, to bring revival here today. Father in heaven, we thank you for meeting with us. And as we sing this next song, may it come from our hearts as Brother Roger leads us for Christ's sake. Amen. Brother Roger. Take a hymn book and